Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the subject of God, the preserver of man. We're so glad you could join us today. We are calling from the Plainfield Christian Science Church, Plainfield, New Jersey, in the United States of America, and we welcome you all. And we'll start with our morning prayer. It's on page 154 of Watches, Prayers, and Arguments. Children, you are a perfect part of God, made in his image and likeness, surrounded by his love, as by a strong fortress through which no evil can reach you. You have no material conception of birth, no father and mother in the flesh. You are not the reflection of belief. Belief is not reflection. You are not weak or easily led astray. You are not rebellious or obstinate. You have no human will. God's will is all, and you are its reflection. Therefore, you will only do right, for you reflect and inherit divine wisdom and understanding. You are spiritual, and spirit knows all things. Sensuality has has no power over you, for you are not conscious of the lust of the flesh, but you are the pure conception of divine truth and love, and co-eternal with your Father, Mother, God. In God we live, move, and have being. Therefore we are in life, health, strength, forever. To be conscious of this is to be in the presence of God with the Father, who is life, truth, and love. Amen. We are the children of the King. Why should we mourn? Mary Baker Eddy. Thank you. All right, our watching point. Watch number 434. Watch lest when you realize that with God all things are possible and that all things work together for good to them that love God, you fail to accept these statements or laws in their fullest extent. As Christian scientists, we accept our experiences, whatever they may be, and perceive that good is working through all of them and out of all of them. Thank you. Okay, comments on that. Well, that's one thing that I'm starting to, that I've really started to um, hold on to and, and think first before whenever anything comes to me that's um, trying to get my attention. And I I just refuse to think that it's anything but good going on. And whatever I a need to learn here is a good thing. And so look at it as an opportunity and not as a look at it that way. And that, that really changes things. I always, I always thought before coming here that I was, I was being sort of punished or it, it was some cause it was always some, I'm doing something wrong. I'm being punished for some wrong thought, but no, I don't, I don't go there anymore. It's, it is working, and um, so that was a big change. Thank you. That uh, idea of accepting those statements and laws to their fullest extent, I was thinking about, you know, coming here and learning to work for the church and having, like, bigger and bigger projects along the way. I don't think I'll ever know the fullest extent because it always gets bigger. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't doubt, you know, when the next idea comes and it feels right, I go, okay, Father, I know you'll guide me through. Yeah, it does become a a sense of unfoldment rather than accretion. And as you uh, gain an understanding, you you just accept more and more challenges and you're, you're ready for them. Mrs. Evans used to talk about 
lifting the calf. If you keep lifting the calf every day, by the time it gets to be a big steer, you can still lift it because you're, you're, it's just what you do. It's definitely unfoldment, not adding on, not seeking what you do. Please remember, we can hear all the noises on your phone. So, yes. Please, go ahead. No, I was thinking, I think for for me, it took some time uh, to embrace this mighty God in everything. Um, something to say, oh, yeah, well, that's, that's not so bad. So, yeah, God can deal with that one. But it's everything, no matter how how long it is taken or how egregious it is or whatever. It's, we have to accept this in its fullest extent. Um, God governs everything, and he can do everything. Thank you very much. And as you demonstrate more and more in these little things, then again, the big things don't seem so big. <laughs> Uh, Mrs. Martha Wilcox speaks about that too. She says, and that's how you relieve stress. If, if you're demonstrating little by little and everything that comes up to you, then when something so-called big comes up, you're not going to collapse on the floor. Oh my God, what's going on? It's <laughs> just a, a bigger, uh, fence to jump over, so to speak, but you're, you're ready for it. Or you wouldn't be kidding. Yes. Step by step. And that, you know, that statement in the Bible is so beautiful about all things working together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. It's just beautiful. Really think of that. All things, all things. It doesn't say some things. It says everything is working together for your good if you're loving God. It doesn't matter what it is. That's powerful, and you must know it and stand with it. This is also why we can take a positive attitude toward every experience that we have. You know, we, I mean, we all have had experiences that seemed horrible at the time, and you might at the time ask, God, why are you doing this to me, or why is this happening to me? Well, no. Demand the blessing. There is a blessing in everything that happens in our experience. And if we will demand the blessing, we will get a blessing. Even things that seem horrendous at the time. You can turn to God and ask, God, what is the blessing here? Show me. Show me what I need to learn. And if you persist in the positive expectation of getting the blessing, guess what? You will actually get a very good blessing. And, you know, when you ask, why is this happening to me? You are acknowledging that it is happening. You're acknowledging its reality, which is why it's not really good to go there. You're saying, oh, this is really happening. This is bad. And why is it happening? Okay, that's... You've gone down to the level of mortal belief. And you're you're wallowing in the mud, and that uh, that kind of attitude is not going to get the blessing. I, I do find it helpful, though, and maybe it's later on, but at some point to ask yourself, because there's always a falling away. Usually, there's this falling away, and we must we must own some of the things most most things that happen to us. We need to own it. We don't blame it or. Somewhere we've had a falling away, especially if you've been in science for a while. And it's helpful to to own it in that way and see, well, maybe I let down here or didn't do as well as I should have. Because in that way, you become the master of it. You're not a victim. And you can avoid another little episode of whatever it, it seems to be. Knows what your hooks are. Yeah, it knows what your hooks are. So, right. So. And that's that's one of the many blessings that can be a obtain from an experience that you get yourself into, <laughs> so to speak. In the lesson this week, in three in Science and Health, it says in the Hebrew, Greek, Latin, and English, 
faith and the words corresponding thereto have these two definitions, trustfulness and trustworthiness. One kind of faith trusts one's welfare to others. Another kind of faith understands divine love and how to work out one's own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, um, Carrie sent a, a beautiful article called The True Dominion of Man from a 1903 old journal. And it's interesting what it says about this. It says, are we both trustful and trustworthy? Through broadening conceptions and expanding thought, we first perceive and then learn how to prove the unreality of sin and sickness and man's dominion over them. Many of these demonstrations are instantaneous, and our trustfulness is strengthened as we are receptive to such proofs. proofs. But are we receptive to the tests which prove our trustworthiness? It is the inherent inherent desire of mortal man to escape dis-ease of every kind. Therefore, he does not welcome the trial, which through weeks, months, and even years, perhaps, makes it necessary for him to cling to the goodness and allness of God, when every jarring human sense is loudly declaring that man is not perfect and that the Christian science assertion of dominion is but an idle dream. In its very nature, trustfulness calls for a more prolonged strain to ascertain accurately its constancy, and only in faithfulness through long-continued trial can we know that we are truly reflecting the steadfastness, steadfastness of God. Holding thought receptive to the immediate feelings of truth, we receive more quickly the blessings and assurance of trustfulness. But trustfulness that is trustworthy asks for no sign and is willing to prolong the struggle until through the purifying fires of suffering we come to truly be obedient to God and to cease to murmur and to doubt. Now, how true is that? What was the name of the article? It's called The True Dominion of Man by Mabel Lucas, and we'll have it on the Liberator and on the Carousel. Okay. <clears throat> but... Mm-hmm. You see, isn't these are the stories of the prophets, right? I mean, look at especially I always feel with Joseph, his whole life was just being trustworthy, thrown into a pit, one thing after the next happened to him. He didn't do anything but right. Eventually, after almost the span of his whole lifetime, did he see why? And he was proven trustworthy. Trustworthiness only develops under the fire of affliction. And it's not an instantaneous thing that comes and goes. Sometimes it's quite some time. We went through the law case. It was for how many years? Several. Five, six. No longer. Seven. Maybe ten. I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was ten. At least. And then all everything else that we had to overcome during that time. So you learn then it's not good to murmur and despair and all of you I'm sure have had similar occasions there's a book that I have I it's it's not a Christian quote Christian not by Christian science author it's called turn it to gold I don't even remember who the author is but he he brings out because it's based on the Bible just that every experience you have God will turn it to gold that's all things working together for good it will it will Turn it to gold, and he will, and he does. And I love that thought. So, okay, well, thank you for that watching point. And um, today I was sent, um, we'll start the subject, God the Preserver of Man. and He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Thank you. It's a beautiful lesson. We've got the 27th Psalm, the 91st Psalm, the beautiful story of Daniel in the lion's den, um, and just a tremendous preserving power of God. And this week I was sent two really interesting and good examples of this that I'd like to share with you. One is a testimony 
I might read it on Wednesday, too, because I know some of you have been working on this. This is from our friend in Hawaii, and um, she she starts out saying she's been silent for a while, but it's because she's had a need to, to pray. <clears throat> and she said, all eyes have turned to Madam Pele, I think it's pronounced, which is a volcano, and the impending and now current eruption on our island. A month ago, while speaking to my brother, who retired from the United States Geological Service, we talked about the possible track of the flow endangering towns in Kono, Ko, and Hilo, all populated. I suggested that the flow could be redirected out to the sea or towards an unpopulated area. He was skeptical. I began to do daily, twice, thrice watches for this outcome. Sounds like Daniel, right? Mm-hmm. <sighs> Knowing that God is all-powerful, all-presence, all-science, and that an eruption is the most natural occurrence. Earth is also growing and unfolding her beauty as we are. And I kept in thought how wonderful this growth is and that no harm could possibly come to anyone because of this unfolding. God cares for all his children, but also oversees all activity, emissions, etc. on this planet. It is beautiful. The flow is active and in the most barren spot on the island right now, and appears to be on a slow trajectory away from populated areas. I am so grateful for all that I am learning at Plainfield to see clearer each day how to allow God into my life for everything, and then to know that I am not a helpless creature swinging to and fro between fear of the unknown and pleading with a mortal concept of God for help. To this end, my putting the brakes on the enthusiasm not appropriate for true growth growth has been my best teacher, and still and quiet are my best practices. Sending you and all Plainfield biggest blessings from my volcanic home. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. I mean, she turned the tables on the belief of volcanoes that it's beautiful, natural, and it just needs to go in the right direction, and not in, not toward populated areas. And through her prayer, that is what's happened and is happening. And I know our weather committee has been working on this. So, but this is a beautiful way of how you can practice the science. We all should be practicing the science. And then our latest um, liberator will be out very soon, right? Soon, yes. (laughs) Peace on earth, goodwill to man. <laughs> Jeremy's looking at me. I probably <laughs> held it up, but it's ready now. So um, anyway, there's a beautiful article, again, another one that Carrie sent called Quietness. And then this quote from Mrs. Eddy has been going through my mind, and, and um, it's in this article. It's from Retrospection and Introspection, page 93, where Mrs. Eddy writes, the best spiritual type of Christly method for uplifting human thought and imparting divine truth is stationary power, stillness, and strength. And when this spiritual idea is made our own, it becomes the model for human action. I've always loved that, those three words, well, two, well, three, four, (laughs) stationary power, stillness, and strength. And that word stationary, fixed, not moving, respecting your space. So, do you respect your space? Are you happy for it? Are you grateful for your space? But you have to do God's work. You need to be quiet and work there, as our dear Hawaiian friend is. And are you stationary in your love and trust in God? Or are you wavering or doubting? Same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, not not moving. It's not like a pendulum. 
Right, swinging back and forth, but staying, staying the course. It goes on, this article goes on to say, and this was true of, G- of Daniel in the lion's den. <laughs> Here, what, what he did to solve the problem was what he was accused of doing and why he was thrown into the lion's den, praying <laughs> to God three times a day. He wasn't going to stop, and he didn't. It says, Jesus so frequently went apart to pray, and a consequent result, never once did he fail to express the stationary power, stillness, and strength of which Mrs. Eddy has told us. One of the greatest blessings that Christian science brings to the human race is that it enables a student at all times, under all circumstances, to flee into the secret place of the Most High. Again, in our lesson. Whatever the apparent condition, he can instantly turn to the Father's house, can go in and close the mental door, and there, in the stillness of the divine mind, he can find the calm and quiet so necessary to the right working out of every problem. The very word stillness and quietness brings visions of harmonious loveliness and the holy attitude they stand they stand for may be sought, cherished, and enjoyed. Indeed, we may always be awake to the fact that it is our constant privilege to avail ourselves of its possibility. Doing this, we shall come to realize what our leader meant, again in retrospection and introspection. Mind demonstrates omnipresence and omnipotence. But mind revolves on a spiritual access, and its power is displayed, and its presence felt in eternal stillness, and in immovable love. And it's so beautiful, Mrs. Mrs. Eddy says. And this is what we are needing now, right? And all this hoofed up Christmas stuff. <laughs> so remember those words. Stationary stillness, power and strength. Remember holy days. And remember what Mrs. Eddy says and what Christmas means to me. I love to observe Christmas in what? Quietude. Quietude, yes. And it goes on, but it's being quiet. Stay still. Never absent from your post. Never off guard. Never ill-humored. Never unready to work for God. And never rushing around shopping or arranging parties or all of that stuff that <laughs> has absolutely nothing to do with Christianity. Yeah. And Christmas. And Christmas. Mm-mm. No. And Mrs. Eddie says, rushing around smartly is not a proof of accomplishing much, right? Mm-hmm. So... So, I thought that was very lovely. And then there is this beautiful, also, testimony. I'll call it a testimony. It's a little longer, but it's very important. One, it was one I knew nothing about. And dear Anne in England sent it to us. And it's from the book, which I also knew nothing about. I've heard heard of of Peter Henniker Heaton, who wrote for the monitors of Poet. And he was healed of a, I think, some kind of a paralysis. Yes. And um, he wrote a book called The Man of Joy. And in that book is this story, which I guess I'll have uh, Gary read. Start with that, Peter. Okay. Peter shared the work of a handful of Christian science practitioners during the battle for Britain. And this was during the Second World War. Britain was besieged by German bombers relentlessly over many months. The intent was to disrupt or stop entirely the transportation lines to London. This was effected by dropping magnetic mines into the Thames River. New mines were dropped constantly by bombers overflying the river. If the bombs landed in water... They sunk below the surface and would explode when metal ships passed by. 
If the bombs hit solid ground, they would explode on impact. The effort was regrettably very successful. London was virtually strangled by the mines. The supplies were reduced to mere days. The vice lord of the admiralty, not sure the title, was a Christian scientist. He held a secret meeting with a small group of London Christian science practitioners. He explained that supplies were reduced to, jan- to dangerous levels, that replenishment was nearly impossible, and that there was a relatively little time remaining to work a solution. British bomb engineers had been trying for months to retrieve an unexploded mine, but without success. They hoped to disassemble one to understand its mechanism in order to defeat that mechanism. The practitioners worked earnestly for several days. One practitioner mentioned working specifically with the concept of magnetism in general and animal magnetism in particular, seeing that it had no power over mind-spirit. Also, that mind supplies the right ideas to support every right endeavor. Britain's leader, Winston Churchill, had been a journalist for years before becoming prime minister. He daily dictated notes about the course of the war. His description for the events of this week included the phrase, quote, At this dire period, fortune finally smiled on the British Isles, end quote. A German bomber dropped a mine over a soft mud flat at low tide. The unexploded mine was recovered and brought to the experts for their examination. Again, the vice lord of the admiralty assembled the Christian science practitioners. He explained to them that a mine had been recovered, but that was certainly booby-trapped. The experts were very concerned, both for their own safety and more so for losing this opportunity to understand the workings of the magnetic mines. How could the mine be safely dismantled without triggering an explosion? The practitioners worked all day, all during that night, and met again with the Vice Lord of the Admiralty the next day. Each of the practitioners had received unusual messages and ideas. Some included numbers and letters. Other practitioners reported peculiar sentences or sequences of procedures. The Vice Lord assembled all these and presented them to the bomb experts who quickly recognized that these bits, when assembled, indicated a specific procedure with appropriate codes to safely dismantle the magnetic mines. With extraordinary trust and courage, they followed the procedure and were able to dismantle the mine without exploding it. This disassembly enabled them to develop countermeasures, which were very rapidly deplored. This released Britain from the transportation stranglehold. Needed supplies were quickly restored to the city. (laughs) For readers of the Bible, the ring of truth is easily heard in marvels such as this experience. Isn't that just wonderful? My gosh, who ever heard of that story? (laughs) What a story! I mean, it's no less remarkable or wonderful when Daniel was interpreting the dream of the king, right? To get all these bits and pieces and put them all together and be able to decode the, this bomb. And it, needs, <clears throat> it needs both parts. It needs, you know, people using Christian science and it needs people in government to trust them. Yes. Yes. It's just beautiful. And, I mean, what a story. Thank you so much, Anne. Um and how many times over has, is this happening? I mean, even with Marlene in Hawaii, her prayers, all our prayers, sometimes we'll never even know what our prayers have done. But this, to be called on and have this group of Christian scientists working, um, Carrie did tell me, she, she checked that there used to be Christian scientists who were in the Congress of the um, United States of America, but evidently no longer, at least none that call themselves that. So that doesn't mean that prayers aren't going on, or we must know that they are, but certainly helps in this case. My goodness, how wonderful. 
So that is one we need to magnify that should go in our liberator and wherever. <laughs> it's wonderful. Maybe in the uh, history section. In the history yeah. section. What got cannot uh, in not the library, do. the new century has lots of recordings of similar things during the various wars. Yes, thank you. That's right. Uh, Christian science during wartime has many wonderful things and also a century of Christian science healing. I mean, I thought, you know, truly we can, we can continue with that in our church to gather all these wonderful testimonies of healing all of you have been giving. And another century of Christian science healing. Why not? <laughs> I was just reading recently where Mrs. Eddy said she asked uh, one of her students who was a practitioner, was she recording all the healings? And she said no. And Mrs. Eddy said, well, dear, you should, um, because we need the proof of it. Now, and this is why in our church we do record it. And how do we do that? <laughs> yes, thank you. Exactly. Yeah, audio recordings of all of our testimony meetings. Yes, yes, and then they're sometimes they're put in magazines, but they're out on audio. So shall you be silent? Ah, oh, never, ah, <laughs> never. Because we, this is counteracting this baloney that's going day and night. The hypnosis machine over and over, droning and droning and droning and droning. Until it gets totally dismantled about all the horrible things that go on in the, in, in dreamland. Okay? We don't need to talk about what goes on in dreamland. As dreamland it is. So let's see, would you, uh, a few, few, very few people are sending me things that they have to share around table. Chardell, you want to? Well, it's exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. I realized that if I'm an old granny and Christianity seems to be more under, how does Mrs. Eddie say it, opposition to the spiritual scientific meaning of the scripture. And I've seen this and I've, I've lived long enough to know that we're, we're in a battle in a sense and to know what the truth is. And then this lesson is perfect because it tells us all that really exists is divine knowledge. That's it. Yes. Simply. Yes. Thank you. And I thought that was so beautiful, Florence, what you said in your testimony at the end. Can you repeat that? Um, you know, for every child of God. You mean the Isaiah, what Isaiah said? Oh, that you cannot be a child of God and, and have not, and have no God there. Yes. I have, uh, yeah, not have the presence of the Father, the presence of your Father with right. you. He says you cannot have a child of God without the holy presence of God. This was in 2008. I, I wrote it down <laughs> because it was just, uh, yeah. Well, thank you. What a, what a beautiful thought. I love that. So it's like what, you know, Ava's saying, my father said, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, my daddy, my daddy said, and if your daddy says that that contradicts anything what mortal mind says. Mm-hmm. Our father, which art in heaven. It's so beautiful. Okay, Lyndon, what about you? You wrote a little bit too. <laughs> well, we had uh, watched one of the Scrooge movies and it, I really like this one because there was such a fullness of of wanting to live life afterward in a way I had not all the versions show but just like very active and and outward and doing stuff for others and just wanting to really because we are told we should enjoy life and I think even Signal Young has a statement somewhere where how can you enjoy heaven if you don't even know how to enjoy earth <laughs> yes. on being on earth but I just love the way that they showed his uh, repentance and changing that was just such a fullness of giving and, and enjoying. Uh, and then so I came across from Vignal Young's association where he says, quote, 
Even when visiting with each other, let your conversation be on the right side. It is your business to help people into heaven, not to retard their course thitherward. <laughs> and I thought I just love the way he said that. And um, I love our quote in the Science and Health that says uh, that life is everlasting. I am the being who was, is, and shall be, whom nothing can erase. And quote Mary, that was Mary Baker Eddy, and that this life is just everywhere expressed. And Thank you. Yes. Yeah, she's referring, that's, you know, Charles Dickens, The Christmas Carol, which is a perennial story, comes out every Christmas in many ways. And, and his debts were forgiven, so he forgave other people their debts. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a beautiful story. Um, how he's visited by those three ghosts. And this one was called Scrooge, and it had Albert Finney in it. It was a musical. And normally I'm not that crazy about musicals, but the music was well done in a way. And one of the songs was I Like Life, Life Likes Me. And and one of the other songs was I Hate People, (laughs) which was equally funny. I thought because he's just putting it out there, I hate people. (laughs) Anyway, um, but... In, in watching that and thinking about it, the, the real working Christian scientists that I knew had this schwad of vivre. They loved life with a capital L. They weren't these timid little, I'm so scared, you know, or walking around with a halo. They were just real people who enjoyed life. Mrs. Evans certainly was that way. Reg Carey was that way. There, um, it was I, um, terrifying to me at the time because I was anything but that. I was a little tiny mouse. But um, I can see why it's important. If you're not, what is it? If you're not happy, you're not practicing Christian oh, science. You're not having you're Christian science. Yeah, it's Big Nell Young. And keep our grin ahead of our groan. And when people, when you walk into a, a room, people should acknowledge that there's something about you that's that's glowing, that has that spirit of of Christ. Nothing obnoxious, just something wonderful. Full of wit, humor, and vivacity. Thank you, very much so. So, um, the beautiful story of Daniel. There are many, many lessons to that, and. We've talked about it many times. Um, and that beautiful picture of Daniel that Mrs. Eddy had foot of her bed. So when she would wake up in the morning, it would be the first thing she would see. And what was that picture of? Daniel looking up. Yeah. Looking away. The lions are all behind him, and he is looking out to the light, face the light. And the fact that the lions were seven hungry lions makes a difference. It's like, really? And they all just, their mouths were shut. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, now on the, and I love the story too of him kneeling three times a day and dear Mrs. Eddie as a little child, um, doing it seven times a day because she wanted to be like Daniel and kept, kept a little chart and marking each time. So can we do less? And, and look what it did. And the king got trapped into doing what he did. But there's also this. This really changed my life in many many ways. It's um, Martha Wilcox's book, page two forty nine. It's in the chapter "Our Mission in the World is Individual." Um. And she and Mrs. Eddy is talking about the way to to pray. Um, and, and in science and health, one thing I have greatly desired, no, it's not in science and health, I'm sorry, it's in miscellany. One thing I have greatly desired and again earnestly request, namely that Christian scientists here and elsewhere pray daily for themselves, not verbally nor on bended knee, but mentally, meekly, and importunately. So, <laughs> I always trip on that word, but anyway. Um, then Martha Wilcox takes up those three words, mentally and then the one meekly. And it goes back to how we started this discussion on, um, with a sense of peace, calmness, insurance. 
that all the early prophets had. We must too. You can't be praying if you're all agitated and fearful. This is why you get in your closet and shut the door. And what does it require? Humility. More than humility. That's a starting point. Gratitude. Love for God. Yeah, it requires an unwavering, undoubting love for God and trust in God. It requires the trustworthiness. I mean, we should ask ourselves, who or what do I actually trust? Do I calmly go to God every time I have a need or I feel a need? Or, or is there somebody that I ask? Do I, am I always asking other people? what I should do, or what do they think, or what, or what. Yeah, something I realized a few years ago is that <laughs> seeking consensus is not demonstration. <laughs> no, and it will never give you the peace that no man can take away. Thank you. Could I do something? Yes. I'm so grateful that I heard the story about the, this um, coming together of scientists uh, to support uh, finding the answer uh, during World War II. And I was thinking, and also the woman in Hawaii, and it really shows that we are responsible and that the healing does have, have ripples. You know, we cannot we go, well, I'm just a little person, what can I do? One with God is a majority, so that's what my take on that is. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zara. You, you do it there. Like I said, I'm very grateful for our outposts around the world, <laughs> people really working in their various place with stationary stillness, power, and strength. Well, in this article by Martha Wilcox, she says, when we pray meekly, our state of mind is one of calmness and sureness and innocency, a state of pure consciousness wherein God's reciprocal law of being is in operation universally. Daniel, when in the lion's den, understood that this reciprocal law of being, his mind was not dual. He did not believe that his mind was God's presence and also believed there was a wicked king and a ferocious and ferocious beast outside his mind. I mean, this is a huge thing. Daniel, because of his conscious oneness and completeness and perfection with divine mind, knew that he included the king and the lions of God's creation within himself. And Daniel knew that the king and the lions, because of their conscious oneness and completeness and perfection with divine mind, included him within themselves. The king and the lions were in Daniel's completeness and perfection, and Daniel made up something of the king's and the lions' completeness and perfection. Daniel knew that God or mind was verified in that very place as one in all. He knew that he and the king and the lions were reciprocal to each other, and each and all were governed by God's reciprocal law of being. It was Daniel's sureness of this reciprocal law of infinite good that dispelled the seeming evil in his individual consciousness and in the consciousness of the king and the lions. This is very similar to, I can't quote it exactly, but that poem of Carpenter where he says, you know, you don't just see someone right, but you have to see them seeing you right, and then you seeing them, and anyway, it goes back and forth. <laughs> but this is so important, and the first time I read this, I never really heard it in that way, and how important it was. In other words, if Daniel had been in the lion's den, and he had seen a mean king and ferocious lions, what would have happened? <clears throat> he would have been eaten alive. It would have been eaten. Live and it would have been a very different mm -hmm. story here. So, yeah, yeah, I want 
if he had seen, if he had wondered why is this happening to me, <laughs> he would have been admitting it so yeah. good apart from God. There, <laughs> there you go there. again. <laughs> and there was no reason, but he could have been whining or complaining. Yes. And next, so, he goes about this. Daniel says, and God, even here, God, I know I, I glorify thee. And, and so he knew something <laughs> good was going to come from this. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Is it Florence? I read once, uh, no, I read once an article. I can't remember. It's a long time ago where the seven hungry lions were uh, seen as the seven synonyms of God. And, you know, that's a part, you know, he, he lived in God. Three times a day he prayed. I mean, he was dwelling there. Yes. So he, he saw the lions also as, you know, in that presence, in that presence of God. So. Thank you. Yes, he saw nothing but the presence of God that was in his consciousness. It was so pure and, and innocent and, and that's all he saw. And that's what, that's what did it. And of course he had no fear. Yeah. He trusted the Father entirely. It's such a beautiful story, and there's so many deep, deep lessons that we can learn from it. And I do love it so much. And then in Science and Health, Mrs. Eddy says that understanding the control which love held over all. There you go. Daniel felt safe in the lion's den. Paul proved the viper to be harmless. All of God's creatures moving in the harmony of science are harmless, useful, indestructible. It's very important that we know this, again, to counteract the beliefs of various animals, right? are supposed to be ferocious or um, poisonous, whatever. No, not according to this. But these are truths we can hold to and prove them to be true. Sorry, I was just going to say, you see it, if, uh, I like to watch things on YouTube about how Wild animals help each other. Yes. They also ask humans for help, and they're given the help. So there is a reciprocal, even in the the whole natural world. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And the more we know it, the more we see it, the more we will experience it, and the more the world will experience it. Again, ushering in this millennium, all all of us, not just people, uh, every creature, right? Every creature. Mm -hmm. And also, I've given this many times, but I, I love it so much that um, the figurative transmission from the divine thought to the human, diligence, providence, and perseverance. Thank you. <laughs> are likened to the cattle upon a thousand hills. They carry the baggage of stern resolve and keep pace with the highest purpose. Promptness is cheerful willingness. Are you cheerfully willing? Diligence, constant effort, attentive and industrious. Perseverance, continuance in a state of grace and glory. Well, that's a nice one. And then the stern resolve, stern, unmovable. And that is how you keep pace with the highest purpose. As I've said, I used to wonder around here, everyone was going 90 miles an hour. I said, what the heck? You know, I, I just can't even take the first step. And I found that and I said, okay, well, I can be, I can be diligent. I can be prompt. I can persevere. And then I can have the stern resolve to do it. And that got me, that got me moving. And I'll forever be grateful for that. And that, and then moral courage, moral courage, so important that we have that. We spoke of that once before. I think time is ending. I haven't heard the bells ring, but okay. Well, so we have another beautiful article by by HEC given to us by Carrie. By Carrie. Title of the article is Eddie Stone Lighthouse. And it goes, one morning a few weeks ago, I awoke repeating the above significant words. Significant indeed to all Christian scientists. I'd even forgotten the location of the material structure bearing the name. But it seemed so typical of our cause that I felt it had come to me for some good purpose. 
I have since looked up the subject of the Eddystone Lighthouse and find it situated in Great Britain, 14 miles off Plymouth Sound and directly in the path of ships coming up the channel. The rock on which it stands was for centuries a place of death for mariners. There have been three lighthouses built upon this material rock. The present structure was completed in 1759 and still bears aloft its beacon light to warn of danger and guide travelers to the way of safety. The picture before me as I write is that of a tall stone tower having visible at its base a few jagged rocks while the waves, almost as high as the tower itself, are lashing it with fury. The forked lightning, darting from out the angry clouds, seems eager to put out the beacon light, which shines resplendent through all the howling fury of the storm. How typical of mortal mind and its blind, impotent fury! How, in seeming... This tries to lash and destroy our lighthouse. But how vainly it continues to stand firm against all storms of malicious animal magnetism and mental malpractice. Why? Because it is built upon the spiritual rock, Christ, truth. Here it will stand forever, the lighthouse of God with its blessed beacon light pointing the way through science and health, guiding and directing us safely past the rocks and reefs, doubts and fears of mortal mind, into the haven of the real, where stands our house built without hands, eternal in the heavens. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. Psalm 27 Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you. 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 Thank you.